At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there, Blenders. It's Sean, and I'm back to introduce you to another bonus episode of Real Blend. This time we have an interview with Jurassic World Dominion director, Colin Trevorrow. Um, we're really excited to be able to get a chance to get Colin on the show because he's somebody who's worked on uh, a number of films that we've been uh, fans of over the years, going all the way back to Safety Not Guaranteed, which is the film that sort of introduced him to us. But then he's had his fingerprints on a number of major franchises, notably the Jurassic World franchise, but of course, uh, some of the contributions that he had in the Star Wars universe uh, and his relationship with Lucasfilm still, too. So now that he was bringing uh, the original Jurassic Park cast back for Dominion and trying to conclude this sort of six film saga that goes all the way back from Jurassic Park uh, through to Dominion. Uh, we thought it'd be a great time to get him on Real Blend, but we also really wanted to talk spoilers. So we uh, got a chance to speak with him as the film was getting ready to open and hadn't yet opened in theaters but told him up front that this was going to be a spoiler-filled conversation that we would run uh, after the movie did well. Now, you, you've seen uh, the numbers from, from this past weekend where uh, Jurassic World Dominion just sort of dominated the box office uh, and continued to bring people back to the theaters, similar to the way that Top Gun Maverick has been doing since it opened back in May. So this is a great conversation where we just dive into, uh, you know, Jurassic World Dominion, the legacy of the franchise and the main characters, a lot of things that Colin thought about as he was going through it, um, and 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 how some of these things sort of came to fruition over the course of Dominion. So uh, this is spoiler filled uh, and you want to make sure that if you are going to listen to this one that you've seen Jurassic World Dominion or at least don't really care that much about major spoilers for it. Uh, I think it's a really fascinating conversation. A great sit down with Colin Trevorrow uh, discussing Jurassic World Dominion, his influence on the saga uh, and just, uh, you know, Jurassic Park being part of our cinematic landscape. So enjoy it. We'll see you guys on the other side. All right, this is uh, an honor to have Colin Trevorrow on our show here on Real Blend. Uh, we are talking about Jurassic World Dominion, and uh, I, I, I I love saying his name because uh, Colin, I met, when we met you at Fallen Kingdom in Hawaii, uh, I think someone said Trevorrow, and you said no, it's like tomorrow Trevorrow, and we, I, I always use that when anybody asks me uh, the correct pronunciation. Um, but we are obviously a filmmaking podcast, filmmaking focused podcast. We want to nerd out with you and geek out with you about 
the details and practical effects and score and everything. Um, but also this is going to be a spoiler discussion. This is not going to be posted until after uh, the release. Uh, so there are going to be some spoiler questions within this just for our audience who's listening. If you haven't seen it at this point, please fast forward and come back uh, after mm -hmm. we discuss this. So Colin, I'll go start off first it. by, yeah, go, go see it first, then come back to the interview. Um, but Life Finds a Way is a line that means a lot to a lot of people. Um, and it's changed a lot over the years, what that line might mean to different people as you get older. And I want to ask you emotionally, when you first saw Jurassic Park and you heard that line, and then now that you are the one concluding this story, um, how that line means to you now, what, what does it mean to you differently in this stage of your life than it did when you first heard it? Uh, well, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Uh, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, this is first of all, just a warning. This is like one of the last interviews that I'm doing on this whole press tour. So like I might, this is where I go wrong. This is where I always say something. I make horrible awesome. mistakes. Even better. Awesome. You do that every week. Uh, no, it, it was a very uh, hopeful line to me uh, that, that then and now I think, you know, through, through uh, great turmoil, uh, humans have found a way to survive. These dinosaurs found a way to survive. Uh, to me, if we don't say it in this film, but I think it permeates every frame. I think because we've heard it used so many ways, so many times over the past, uh, you know, especially you know, nine years, uh, we decided not to say it, but I think it's because ultimately, uh, and we could have ended the movie with it. If you've seen the movie, it could have been the last line, hmm. uh, but we chose not to, because we, we feel like it's, it's embedded in, in all of our souls. At this right, point. it's in there. Yeah, it's in there, yeah. Colin, uh, whenever we got the news that the three legacy characters were coming back, I went through an emotional roller coaster because I immediately was elated. Oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to see the three of them back. And then immediately started having a, an anxiety attack because I thought, oh, my God, one of them's going to die. Someone, something's going to happen. One of them's going to. Was there ever a moment where you considered killing one of the three legacy characters? Um, well, I, there are four. In, in when yes. you include BD yes. and we yes. actually there was discussion about BD was a little touch and go for a second, uh, and and there was a moment when we we talked about not uh, you know his his story of redemption in this movie is something that's uh, that is important to me, and yet uh, you can be redeemed and and still not make it. You know, often we have to we have to pay for our, our sins uh, with our lives, and uh, we ended up feeling like it was important for him uh, to live so he could he could follow through. Uh, which uh, it, it obviously like in the conscious movie is crucial as far as our legacy characters, you know, it's really interesting. I've thought about it a lot and, and I, I never considered it. And, and the reason why is I feel like the death of these icons from our childhood are like a dry run for the death of our parents. I think they're preparing us for something that we know is coming uh, and is really deeply sad. And when I, when people left this movie, I wanted them to feel uh, hope. Uh, and to really feel like actually the characters I know and love are safe, uh, including the dinosaurs, and, and they're going to be okay. And I think based on when this movie uh, is reaching audiences, what point we're at in our history, both as fans and as humans on the planet, I think this particular movie, uh, we needed to end at a place of, you know what, we can, we can, we can make it. Oh, I want to clarify, too, that Jake asks that question in every junket we go to of whether the characters are going to die. It's really strange. I don't yeah. know why he keeps yeah. asking yeah. that about and, and after, that we love. After every time he asks it, he says their safety just is not guaranteed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shoot, Kevin, really? You know where I stand on the issue. <laughs> you suited, <laughs> <you> suited that. <laughs> I made this clear. I love that movie. Oh. 
All right. So um, it's it's really interesting for you to come back to a franchise that you um, well, well, to a trilogy that you helped kick off. And because in this instance, you are now getting handed some plot threads that you didn't carry over that were uh, brought up in, in Fallen Kingdom in this instance. And one of the biggest ones would be Maisie, uh, the character of Maisie. So I'm just curious. Uh, and, and then here you even change a little bit of her origin in terms of what we knew about her. And I'm curious if that was always supposed to be the case for her, if that's a twist that you guys implemented over your writing, uh, the course of your writing, how did that come about? Well, you know, I never feel like I left, you know, I, we did write that movie and, and I produced that movie and, and I worked so closely with J.A. throughout. I think the things that are, that um, to me are, are different about Fallen Kingdom was execution of ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really leaned into Jay's instincts. I wanted him to feel like uh, it was his film and not something where I was constantly over his shoulder as the director of the last movie, being like, do it like me. He shot it, you know, digitally. He, he used widescreen instead of two to one. All the things that I had done, like I, I did not want to impose on him. Um, and he, even in, you know, it's so amazing story absolutely was part of the design. Uh, I did want the whole truth to come out in this movie uh, and for it to be an emotional truth as opposed to something that was, you know, a little weird and creepy and, and uh, uncomfortable, uh, which is what I think middle movies can do. Uh, I think we're, it's hard for us to watch middle movies now uh, in the same way it was probably hard for us to watch Empire Strikes Back, even if we don't remember. That was hard for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, middle films, when you, you know, we, we are used to, to kind of, in, in an era where we can have access to everything all the time, I think there's a sense of like, give me my whole story now and I'll decide uh, you know, how I process it. And For this sure. is a very old way, you know, once every three years, we give you a piece of this story. Right. Mm. You know, I want to follow up on something Sean said real fast, where you said just to Sean's answer just now about the, the changing of the 35 millimeter and 65 millimeter to digital to Fallen Kingdom and then back to film. Um, because you were working on Fallen Kingdom, was there a conversation of asking J.A. to stay within that through line of keeping it in film, keeping the aspect ratio the same? Because I'm a film fan. I know you are. I know you shoot on film and obviously Spielberg's a big film guy. So I'm just wondering, like, if that was ever even you can you go to him and say you stay on film kind of thing? I, I could have. Uh, and I didn't because I, mean, I asked him uh, and he said, yeah, this is you know, I want to shoot digitally. My cinematographer and I, we want to do it for these reasons. For me to sit J.A. Bayona down and say, let me explain to you the value of 35 uh-huh. million. You know, he, he shot on film too. He knows what he's doing. And, and he made a choice. And I uh, and I, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of the relationship that we had on that movie because that it very easily could have turned into to something very uncomfortable, specifically for him, uh, mm. me being around. Uh, and I really tried to do everything I could to to protect him uh from uh you know, anyone getting too deep into his his creative process, which is very specific. He's a, a Spanish director. He, he hasn't made a movie in the American system before, uh, which is a totally different uh, way of going about making uh, film. Uh, so I was I was very focused on that. And, and you know, in retrospect, when I watch clips of all three of them together, uh, I can tell when it's a clip from Fallen mm. King, it does look different. Uh, but I think, you know, it was it was in the name of, of supporting a fellow filmmaker and his vision. Mm. You know, Colin, since I was a kid uh, and the original Jurassic Park came out, the Dilophosaurus um, is, it always has been one of my all-time favorite dinosaurs. I know it was a Spielberg creation, but just with on my mind, like that's a real dinosaur, it really existed and I loved it. Um, and I was kind of always amazed that that dinosaur wasn't utilized more in the sequel. So I was very happy to see her, I'm going to use, I guess her, it would be a girl, uh, come back in this one. Are you surprised that the Dilophosaurus as popular of a scene as that was in the original, never really made an appearance in any of the other sequels? Well, it was purposefully in, in the first, you know, two 
Jurassic World movies. That was a decision because I, I really, I knew, it's not that sh that animal is limited uh, as far as what it can do. It's that I I never wanted to turn it into a, a CG creature that was running around and, and like, you know, the, the T-1000 version of itself. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. Uh, and I, I wanted to, to keep it to, you know, something that is essentially stationary. And then suddenly it's way closer to you than you thought it was going to be. And, and then it spits on you and you're dead, uh, which is, you know, how we played in this movie. It does have a lot of screen time here. Uh, it, it does. There is there's one shot in this. It's always an animatronic. We didn't make a CG model of it. Uh, and I think that especially, I mean, you were talking about, you know, our heroes in our childhood, the dinosaurs are our heroes too. And if you were to only see a digital version running around, uh, I think you'd call bullshit on me real fast. So mm. I try to do it. Um, I swear I'm not bringing this up because I'm wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. It just happens to be the case. But one of the things I, I, I loved about Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man is that the trailer for it, and a very early trailer for it was um, a bank heist that was supposed to end with a helicopter caught between the Twin Towers. And it was, um, he, it, Raimi recruited uh, his whole filmmaking team to put this thing together so that it would almost mirror what you're going to see in the film uh, when the film was released. And you did something similar to this with the drive-in sequence, uh, this long prologue that you guys released to give people an idea of the fact that the dinosaurs were now amongst us. And I was wondering if you could just talk about uh, how you felt as a filmmaker putting together an entire sequence like this that you were putting out so much earlier than your finished film, uh, yeah. using it as a piece of marketing. Um, and then was there ever a, a discussion about using that entire sequence, the long sequence in the film? That is the beginning of the film. Uh, that is the first five minutes. And it was always up until we reached a point, um, I would say a year ago, uh, when it started to become clear that, the, you know, the first act was was a long first act because we okay. were introducing two parallel storylines at the same time that all needed the beats of a first act within them. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was it was kind of heartbreaking to be honest. Like I, to me, it is the first five minutes of the movie, and and someday uh, I think I know people will have the opportunity to see it that way. Uh, but uh, hopefully, uh, you'll you know, especially kids who who are so used to to receiving their content on YouTube and and processing it uh, in in ways that I think uh, could create a really interesting relationship between that and the ending of this movie. It, it clearly is a bookend. The movie opens with a sunrise and ends with a sunset. That is the that is the movie, uh, and so you know what I actually am really appreciative of, even whether I agree or disagree with with uh, dropping it. And honestly, like I could make a I could make a case for both. Like I managed to be able to hold you know both cases in my mind. Um, I really appreciate that Universal was down with this idea. It was my idea. Like let's just give it to people for free and let mm -hmm. let kids just watch it over and over again. Uh, and they were they were down with it, so we did it. It's it's interesting to see that the imagery from that sequence is used so much in the marketing, and I'm not sure if I've seen a lot of that where like the poster, the, the image on the poster, mm -hmm. that situation's not in the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, and, and it, it, films go through a lot of changes, obviously throughout production. And this is something I always wanted to know because with Spielberg kind of being the originator of the filmmaker of this particular storyline, obviously with Michael Crichton's book, um, I, and he's a producer on your films. I just wonder like, do you sit down with him and show him the final film or pieces of it throughout the process. Like, because, because, you know, he's Steven Spielberg and you think about what Jurassic Park means to everybody um, as somebody who's like carrying this story forward, even with Jurassic World going in through Dominion, what are those moments like if they are moments? Like, do you, will you call, like, do you guys meet together and sit down and watch the final product? Does he give you notes? Uh, I'm not saying you need notes. I'm just wondering if like, that's a thing that happens. Yeah, for sure. And I'll take notes from Steve Spielberg. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we had, you know, on this one, we, we didn't see each other because of COVID. I, I haven't seen him since before the pandemic and uh, in 
person. Um, on the first film, uh, we don't sit and watch it together. That that would be horrifying. I don't know if my heart can take it. <laughs> uh, but he'll you know he'll watch it. He has a screening room and he'll watch it. And and I'll know when he's watching it. We deliver the DCP. So I'm just sort of sitting there alone in a room Ooh. waiting to hear how it goes. Uh, and the first one went very, very well. Uh, and he came in and sat with me and my editor for maybe like an hour or two when we went through and he gave a couple suggestions. And that was kind of it uh, on the first one. And uh, second one, not that different. Uh, you know, he, he watched it. He really dug it. He was really thrilled by, you know, he was like, Jay is a shooter. Like he was calling out individual shots that, that he really dug. This one was a little different because he recognized it was too long also. And so we all had to have this conversation like, okay, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, and it was, it was a process that I think, you know, landed on a movie that's going to play really well uh, in theaters. Uh, but I'm excited for people to be able to see uh, you know, the, the longer version of it. Cause I, I think it actually may play uh, well after you've seen this version and, and you want to take a deeper dive. I think it might have a, you know, a purpose for, for real fans of it. Is Spielberg part of the decision to uh, change that opening? Um, because obviously what, what I gathered from your answer was that it was a conflicting thing for you, like to whether or not to put that, keep that and take that out. Was it, but was he involved in going, Colin, yeah, maybe that was, that'd be too long. Does that, does it come to him on that? Not specifically that moment. There was just sort of a general sense of like, this, we should make this short <laughs> and, and me mm -hmm. being like, okay, I got it. I got it. Let me come up with some, some ways that we can do that. Let me, let me, let me show you some options. He does give me a lot of freedom to come up with the solutions. Uh, which I really appreciate. So it's it's more about questions from him and, and answers from me. And that's kind of what he, he relies on me for that particular one. Honestly, like everything that we took out is was hard. Uh, and and yet I you know, it is it is one of the the things about being a filmmaker that they don't really teach you about in film school. You don't really think about uh, in the process. And then suddenly you realize, wow, I'm, I'm making a movie for not just the whole world uh, and, and totally different tastes and perspectives, but also two mm. generations. Uh, yeah. People my age who might not even like the Jurassic World movies, people who from, you know, who grew up on Jurassic World who were like, who are these these folks? <laughs> like, and so like you have to factor We can't imagine that. But but you have to factor all of that in and try to make something that's going to work as well as it can for honestly everybody sounds so stressful Colin, we were talking about the uh the legacy characters and you mentioned four because we're going to include bd wong but obviously you could even stretch it to five because we've got dotson back which is which is yeah. awesome and i and i couldn't i wanted to scream on the theater like dotson we got dotson here um i'm curious <laughs> was there ever a conversation to bring in lex and tim was that ever uh, a point or at, at a, does it does it get to be a point where it's an overload at, at a certain point it, it, i felt like it would it would turn into a love boat episode you know, it would turn into, <laughs> I, was so, I was so worried, so conscious about us honoring each of these characters completely because we didn't have three movies to do it or two movies. We had this one movie in which we were attempting, a, a, you know, a bit of a black diamond slope of screenwriting, you know, these two parallel stories that are drawing closer until they collide uh, to be mm. able to give everybody not just their moment, but a beginning, middle and an end to their story. Uh, extremely complex. And I, and I do believe I think probably the first time you watch this movie, it just feels like a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I think the second time, the third time, not that I'm asking you to watch it three times, but uh, I make movies for like the, the fourth, fifth watch. Right? Cause I know right, that right. oh, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it is. And I don't think it's uh, once, <laughs> 
you, you, it's like once, you know, we change the altitude really quickly. And if you do that too fast, everyone's head explodes. But if you, if you do it nice and gradually, uh, people will, will go with you. Uh, that was my, that was my metaphor for the day. Hmm. Apologies. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I hope that uh, that as people become accustomed to like what this movie does, uh, they'll be able to process all of it and actually see how very carefully each person was, each character was attended to. Hmm. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cool. Okay, there's a, a scene that I wrote down that, um, that when I knew we were getting you for the show and then I watched it because it struck me as something visually that was um, very different from what you tried before, which was uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, which to me is she's been the MVP of, of the three films uh, so far. And you put her in this ejector seat and follow her out as she goes flying through the air mm. uh, because we are, are a technical geek type uh uh, uh, podcast can you just walk me through a little bit about how you even capture that that shot it's such a fantastic uh sequence Thank you. well i think that you know that moment it comes out of a really romantic like a sweeping romantic moment and mm -hmm. so you're in this space where you're 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 literally in between these two people who are saying goodbye to each other she has this really long take that was incredible just kind of almost looking you know down the barrel of the lens uh, and then we go out with her and we just decided, like, we're not going to have a digital camera that's flying all around her. We're only going to use mounted cameras. And so we basically put her on an ejection seat and, and mounted cameras to the ejection seat. And we only used those and we could cut between them. And we actually mm -hmm. shot it all simultaneously. So she was on this rig you know, with one in front of her uh, and then another here and another on the side. Uh, and she went through that performance. Uh, and then we, we took uh, plates from Switzerland, which is where our snowy mountains and our, that's a real dam. Right. Uh, and then down in, down into this valley, which, you know, we, we had made into Biosyn, uh, and what's really cool, if you ever get to check it out on the Blu-ray uh, or, or just be able to pause through it, as she's spinning upside down, there's so many amazing details that the team put in. You can actually see the plane flying away from her underneath her as she goes around, like, and you see Biosyn in the distance. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to feel like, you know, we just launched her out of there with a bunch of, of little, you know, red monstros on there. Oh, she yeah. sells it too. Oh yeah. <laughs> you sell it and she sells it. Here's the first thing she got in the whole movie. Well, get out of here. Here you go. And there's like wind machines blasting her. And uh, she's such a pro. She's amazing. 
You're like, welcome wait. back to Jurassic. Like, is that a conscious choice? Like, like you have to assume whatever the first shot of, of, a, of a film is going to be kind of sets the tone. Whenever you know it's going to be that, is there a part of you that's like, oh, hell yeah. Or is there a part of you that goes, maybe it shouldn't be this. Maybe this isn't a good. <laughs> There's a part of me. I wouldn't, For some reason on this movie, and it's not the way I would be with a kid. Like usually with a child, we'll start, you know, we'll start and we'll ramp up. But with these actors, you, you know, you're looking at actors who have been in some cases, you know, 30 movies or, or 10 movies, like they've done a lot of work. And part of me, especially, you know, when it came to this being the third film, there, there's a bit of a, like a, I don't want to say ennui, but there's something that can settle in in a third film where everyone's getting paid a lot of money and they, you know, they know it's probably going to succeed. And so they can kind of walk through it. Uh, hmm. So part of me wanted to just be like, come on, focus up. <laughs> like, like, we're in the adventure. <laughs> like, here we go. And, and yeah. I did the same thing with Laura, Sam and Jeff as I put him in that, the Jeep that's tilting sideways to that moment where he's, they're all not sure if they're going to tip over or not. You know, I, th I think we might be teetering. That was the first thing that we did with them. So putting everybody <laughs> in danger, I think is sort of like, let's, let's do this. That's great. That's you know, great. It, that leads me into my next question actually, because I'm, um, you know, the moment you're on set, and you have Sam Ellen, you have you have Sam Neill, you have Laura Dern, and you have uh, Jeff Goldblum in a frame together, and you are behind that camera, and mm -hmm. you are there, and action is called um, emotionally. I mean, and, and I get that you've been a part of this franchise since the first since Jurassic World, but being behind that camera on that moment, well, what do you remember about emotionally feeling? Like, did, did part of you go, "Oh my God, this is they're right there, they're in character." <laughs> That's got to be crazy. It was. I mean, it was also. Um, it was emotional, but it was. It was exciting because I remember the first time I saw their faces together. Um, it was in a piece of coverage for Jeff Goldblum. It was his single where Sam Neill's over his right shoulder. But we actually put them on a rig that tilted the thing so you can feel their clothes and their hair move. Mm. And when it happened, because they were all supposed to lean to the left, Laura Dern's head comes into his frame, and it was her and him, and then Sam Neill is in between them, which is like the whole dynamic. Uh, anyway, uh, and it was like this thing that happened. We're like, did you guys see that? Look what happened. Okay, let's put that in the movie. Uh, sometimes <laughs> those things are like these, these little miracles that you'd think that we would understand would occur, but you can't know until you actually tilt the Jeep sideways. Wow, wow that's incredible. Uh, Colin, I have to confess, I may have gotten you in trouble at the junket um, because Jeff Goldblum told me a story that whenever they wrapped in 93, that, that I think he and Laura Dern and Sam Neill were all given by Spielberg a full-blown velociraptor. Like they, and so when I sat with Chris and Bryce, I said, so what, what dinosaur did you guys get? And there was just a just silence. <laughs> and they said, we, we, didn't get, we, didn't get a, we didn't get a dinosaur. I'm sort of curious, like, was there, when, you know, you, you, were, you had a lot of anima, like, like full-blown animatronic dinosaurs in this. Like, at no point, like, this is the end of an era. At no point do you just go, well, no one else is going to use these. I might as well take take one of them home. Uh, I do feel that way. Really, they got full Raptors. All I got that... was like a T-Rex menorah. Uh, from <laughs> gave me a, a gold T-Rex menorah that was like, it was wood. Like, it's not actual gold. Uh, you know, I cherish it, obviously. Of course. Uh, of course. No, I give very personal gifts. Like, the actors know what, uh, what we gave each other, but they're all, uh, we're very much like, you know, Ernie and Bert, you know, making sure no one gets their paper co collection it's all yeah. it's all very personal gotcha um colin i want to know what your thoughts were as you were bringing the first jurassic world to a close um were you in your mind saying goodbye to directing the franchise did you ever really intend to come back uh, and you know when the third the opportunity to come back and do dominion came back were you kind of surprised 
Yeah, well, no, I, I, that was always a, a bit of the plan. Um, when I first had that conversation, when the movie came out, um, and I talked to Steven about, about going to do Star Wars and, and this idea that we had of, of having a, another director in the middle, he did ask them, like, okay, so you could, you know, you can come back and do the third one. And so I, what was important to him, it wasn't even, I don't even want to say it was so much about me, it was understanding the need uh, for a cohesive plan. Uh, for there to be just a consistent story told all over the three films. And, and that is something that we have. Uh, and uh, I, I acknowledge and, and respect, you know, his, the fact that he knew we needed that even then. And for me, it was exciting because I, I did feel like, you know, the middle film was going to, to fundamentally shift uh, what the franchise even is in some ways that Lost World did. I mean, it ended up, you know, a dinosaur got out, you know, into a world, but then they put him back. Uh, and then the mm -hmm. third one was on an island again. And that really, I think when people look at the two trilogies, that's really where we we just go a different direction. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, to me, just like the being able to realize something entirely new that isn't a new version of, of we're all going to an island that uh, may or may not be safe and it turns out it isn't safe mm -hmm. uh, was was thrilling. Off of Sean's question, that leads me down this question about like planning the franchise, planning these three films, uh, starting it, knowing where you're going to go, knowing where it's going to end. Um, how different is the ending of Dominion versus how you envisioned the third film ending? And, you know, it is it's, it's insane to think like, you know, you hear stories about films that weren't planned out fully that didn't go through. And I just wonder, like, from that perspective, what that meant to you to like have a significant story outlined and kind of like where it did end versus where you wanted it to end originally. Well, I think, I mean, the final shots, uh, maybe not specifically what they are, but the idea of, you know, animals coexisting with dinosaurs, that was always where I was looking to get to. Okay. Uh, and I felt like that was a very natural uh, evolution. Uh, if, you know, the first movie is about a bunch of people going to a zoo that hadn't opened yet. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is, is something that hopefully doesn't, it's not dinosaurs in space. You know, they're not, you know, they don't have guns on them. Uh, and they're also not like running in and eating people out of the Starbucks. You know, it, it's, not, it's not Godzilla, it's not uh, Pacific Rim and all these things are great. It's it's what we did. And, and, and I really, uh, I feel that that, is it's a result of having a shared set of instincts over the whole thing, whether or not the story was all the way planned out, you know, of course it's going to evolve. I, you know, I brought in a different writer and Emily and I, you know, did a lot of work together, but uh, the same set of narrative values is applied to all three. Uh, and, and I think that to me, uh, you know, there, every, everything that JA did, I, I took and I ran and I worked with even choices he made that were not my own. Uh, you know, I, I ran and I worked with. Um, Colin, th this film does something that that made me very happy, which is something that I feel like should have always been the case, which is it ends with the implication that that Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler are going to to be together. Um, and I love that. And I always remember I remember going to see three in theaters and whenever it was revealed that, that she was married to someone else and had kids with someone else. I remember like almost feeling that that like wrong about like, what do you mean? Like they didn't. Mm. They did. Is there a part of you that that also always kind of felt like, wait, why? Why didn't they end up together? They should have ended up together. Yeah. I, to me, I found it to be a huge advantage to us as storytellers that that happened to you as a moviegoer, as a young moviegoer, because, you know, for me, I was making uh, the end of one movie, three movies and six movies at the same time. And for us to be able to do something here that makes Jurassic Park three have have real narrative value mm -hmm. 
in the story that we're telling and to to because it created that emotion in you where you felt uncomfortable and then when at that moment at the end of this movie like when that most romantic kiss i've seen in recent cinema happens on screen hopefully there's this this real catharsis uh, for all of us and not and not to knock mark i mean mark's a good man I just feel like I don't want to cast him aside uh, as as uh, unworthy somehow, but you know, life is complicated and, and relationships you know fall apart, and and I feel like the messiness of that uh, is important to to put into film. It's not always perfect. So what you're saying is life finds a way. Uh, <laughs> works yeah, every time. The full circle. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That was great. I don't know. I don't forget you guys. That was fantastic. Was really I've been good. building to that for 30 minutes. I think the safety not guarantee one might have been the gold mine. No, yeah. right. I wanted right, to I wanted to get in another question, but I feel like we should end on that. But I, I go okay, so okay. So you said that we have to see these movies multiple times, and it's possible that I missed this. But what is the four digit code uh, that gets punched in that ultimately opens the gate? Oh, it's it's what it's what Mamadou Ashe's character punches in. It's I don't think what it is actually matters uh, to me. It's it's that it's this moment where where to me it's it's Ian Malcolm trusting chaos theory. That if I t if I punch in enough of these codes, one of them will eventually be right. So I'm going to keep punching in random codes until it works. And it, like everything in this movie, uh, he gets helped out by by one of his friends, and we accomplish it together. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, we're being told we have two minutes left. So uh, to have you on our show is is such a huge deal because we're such filmmaking fans, and we're just like we're just I'm just curious like where you're going next, what you learned from this franchise that you want to implement in your filmmaking going forward. Uh, you know. How do you feel about the state of movies right now? I mean, like we're seeing a lot of great success at the box office with films like Top Gun. This film's going to obviously do very well as well. I just wonder like where you're, where you're at emotionally in the business at the moment and kind of like what you want to do next, or you want to go back to something a little smaller, like safety not guaranteed, not that that was a small film, but it was smaller scale than this, but just wonder where you're at emotionally. Wow. Maybe we should do four minutes for that. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me four. <laughs> you guys, it's fine for four. Come on, Natalie. We got this. We got this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, wow, where am I at emotionally? I, you know, as far as the, I think we're we're at a moment uh, that uh, is different than any other in in certainly in, in the last you know two thousand years in which for for you know a good year we stopped watching drama together as a group. We started we stopped gathering together to watch stories that reflect our lives and and the way we mm -hmm. view the world. Uh, and uh, that to me is is like a it's a very crucial part of our civilization, uh, being able to gather together to watch drama. It's not just movies. And now, uh, you know, we're doing it again. And, and so I think I'm just so deeply grateful that we get to do it again, uh, on the, uh, that, that it's hard for me to, to complain uh, too loudly about the specific ways that we're doing it. The one thing where we don't do that as much is, is in our homes. Like we're alone on our couch. We're watching, you know, we have a personal relationship with our content. We're watching it on a, on a iPad or a computer screen or a phone. Uh, and that to me is, is not how we've ever experienced drama until the past, you know, 15, 10 years. And we've been around for a long time. And, and so I would just hope um, the parents uh, are are going out of their way to make sure that their children understand the value of the shared experience in a theater, whether it's live, whether it's a movie, whatever it is, uh, a concert. Uh, so we don't lose that because uh, I, I don't know uh, that I feel like we're all just going to turn into to individuals. And, and I love individualism and I think it's important, but, uh, you know, sharing, uh, you know, the experience of being alive with others, uh, it, it assures us that we're not alone. 
Where well, are you going next real fast? Just uh, where are you going next? Um, I'm, I'm actually producing younger filmmakers and, you know, new voices who I think are, are should really be heard. And, and it's harder to get money for those than it is for the dinosaur movies, but I'm going to, I'm trying. And I, and I, I think that's really important to give, uh, other filmmakers, the kind of mentorship and, and guidance that I was given, the kind of opportunities that I was given. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as for me, uh, I'm really, you know, I, I, I could just, you know, walk into the sea uh, or <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated with with uh, our first civilization uh, that had technology and, and flight and power and weapons that that fell into the sea that that collapsed long ago. So I'm making an Atlantis uh, trilogy. <laughs> of oh, our, our what? civilization uh that that we we lost all of this once before uh and uh Whoa. we've never seen that movie we've seen like underwater fantasy kingdom movies but we've never seen like you know we had it and it all went away and i feel like if you're a young person now you're looking at a civilization that you feel your parents have given you something that is that is crumbling and is and is dying in many ways so i think it's an emotion that is is uh, really potent for young people um and i'm i'm really uh i'm really eager to to figure out if we can you know it's it's a it's a world that was right here on earth Wow, that's all. I can't I'm wait to see in. that. So you're going thanks, back. Thanks your, for dropping your, that right at the end. Going yeah. back to indie roots, I can see. So, <laughs> uh, Colin, I know it was really difficult to wait for this movie to come out and to and to keep putting it back and keep putting it back, but but knowing that it deserved to be seen on the big screen, and then we just want to say that we can't wait for people to get a chance to check it out. And um, uh, we know that that's where it deserves to be seen. It's a Jurassic film, obviously, uh, and we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We're big fans of you, and uh, and really appreciate you taking the time. All right, really appreciate you too. Naturally, we want to thank our friends at Universal uh, and Colin Trevorrow for coming on Real Blend and sitting down for this fascinating conversation. Uh, I I wish we had time. We would have asked him to sort of play the tier list uh, for Jurassic Park. That would have been fun to get his input, although I guess he can't really be fair uh, in judging his own films. Right. How do you put yourself in that situation and and decide whether your contributions to this franchise are S tier or A tier? Or somewhere else from that point on. Um, we'll be back with full episodes of Real Blend coming up. As you guys have seen on our social channels, uh, we're going to have a big one. We're going to have a big one landing on the channel very, very soon, which is Tom Hanks uh, joining Real Blend to talk about Elvis. Uh, you guys are not prepared for that conversation. It really was uh, magic. It was better than we anticipated it uh, happening. And of course, you know, we always are going to have uh, other sort of irons in the fire or lures in the pond or whatever other analogy you want to come up with in terms of getting some exciting guests for you guys uh, in addition to all the fun things that we get to do on Real Blend on a weekly basis. So if you're on our YouTube channel, make sure you hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. Uh, whenever we post a new episode, you guys will be the first ones to come join our notifications crew. Weigh in in the comments down below uh, and keep enjoying all the Real Blend content that we bring to you guys on a regular basis. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.